morning. It is Friday, April 24th, and this is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus outbreak in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse every weekday morning at 9 a.m. on KOPN, and all episodes can be found online at kopn.org and on our Facebook page. Today on Community Pulse, new information has surfaced this week that may shift the timeline of the coronavirus' spread through the country to weeks earlier than previously believed. We'll also discuss a preliminary survey of New York State residents, which found that nearly 14% of those tested had antibodies against the coronavirus. And we'll continue the discussion about correctional facilities and explore why some are advocating for the release of the incarcerated during the pandemic. Joining me this morning to discuss this and more is Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, local family physician and host of Your Health Matters here on KOPN. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Tim. Thanks for being a being there and helping this um, happen every morning. Yeah, of course. Yeah, before we get into uh, anything, are, are you still there? Yes. Okay. Can you hear me? Oh, somebody else is trying to comment. Sorry. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, so the numbers uh, worldwide: uh, 2.75 million cases, 192,000 deaths, and 758,000 recovered people in the United States. We have 886,000 cases, 50,000 deaths, so 2,000 more than yesterday, 86,000 recovered. In Missouri, we um, our cases were up over 200 cases from the day before. So my numbers are from Matthew Holloway, who reports based on uh, the data from counties and state agencies yesterday. So his data is 10 p.m. So, it, you know, we're a day behind, but that's okay, or half a day behind. 6,532 cases in Missouri and um, 255 deaths. In Boone County, um, we have uh, uh, 98 cases and one death. In Saline County, um, they're up another 17 from yesterday, 123 cases. So significantly more than Boone County, which is way more populated than Saline County. Montauk County, 37. Um, so the Saline County de- uh, cases... No deaths. Saline County cases are related to a meat uh, processing plant, and I don't um, understand what the Montauk County cases are about. Uh, Mississippi County, down in the boot heel, um, there's a correctional facility that has um, 20 inmates have tested positive and three staff, and their total county is only reporting 23 cases, so it's possible that all of their cases are from the, the prison facility. Um, so, yeah, um, yeah. Interesting news yesterday that um, uh, a um, two people who died in uh, the first one died on February the sixth in uh, Santa Clara County in the San Jose area near San Francisco. Um, they had thought that maybe they had died of influenza. They died in a in their home. Um, and uh, that was back when we were very limited about what testing we could do. You know, the CDC had developed their own tests rather than using the World Health Organization tests and had discovered those tests were faulty. So everybody was scrambling, um, and the CDC was had the only test in the country. And so to get tested, you had to call and make a case to the CDC that this person should be tested. And the CDC was only testing people who had traveled 
to China and primarily the people who had traveled to Hubei province in Wuhan, um, which is where we think the virus started to infect people. And so this, um, there, there were not people being tested who had not traveled. This person apparently did not travel as far as we know. Um, so that, like, so we, at that point, we were still just identifying the first deaths in uh, King County near Seattle in Washington state. And we really thought that there wasn't community spread, but apparently there was community spread in January because uh, based on the predicted timelines, you'd expect the death to be um, three weeks, about, about three weeks would be the earliest time someone would die, typically, um, from the time that they were exposed. So that puts us in the early January community spread in the San Francisco Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And these, these uh, recent discoveries, we can call them, may, may shift how we interpret data, right? They could potentially shift how we understand yeah. the death rate and the rate of transmission and things yeah. like that. Absolutely. So what this means is there were probably cases, oh, certainly there were, it was at least one case, um, and probably deaths that we aren't attributing to COVID-19 because we didn't believe it was there. So, you know, there's a lot of um, discussion and um, concern about whether we're accurately um, um delineating who died of COVID-19 and who died of other things. Um, I think that there's just not any question in my mind and in most minds of the minds of people who are health professionals that something remarkable is happening and that this COVID, this uh, SARS-CoV-2 is a new virus that is doing new things in people. And because none of us have immunity to it, we're going to see a lot more deaths than we're used to seeing. Um, total deaths and deaths from this. Now, exactly whether the death rate is 0.5% or 1% or 4% or whatever is hard to know. And I think it's going to take a long time and we might not ever know. Um, but uh, there's been a whole lot of concern that we're over um, counting deaths and cases. And I think that this is one instance where we clearly undercounted. So what happened was this, this person, because they died unexplained at home, got an autopsy. They gathered some uh, tissue or fluid samples and sent those to the CDC, and they've just now released it. They tested positive for, for SARS-CoV-2. And, of course, we don't. I don't know any more details. Is it possible they died with it rather than of it? We don't know, but it, probably they died from it. Anyway. So that was an interesting thing, and it, it is, you know, we can just see, and I'm seeing it on social media already, a resurgence of the need for people to tell the story that they were very sick in January, that they were sicker than they've ever been, that people in their family were also very sick, and so, therefore, they're sure that they also had uh, COVID-19. And that is possible. Who knows what's going to happen? But I feel like there's this social media thing that says, you know, somebody says a thing happened and folks say pictures or it didn't happen. And I am saying, you know, antibody tests or it didn't happen. Yeah. So um, please don't presume that you're immune because you got a serious infection. You got a really bad infection in uh, January or February. Um, or even even if you got a bad infection in March or April and you aren't in a hot spot and you didn't get a test. Um so then the other interesting thing is that New York sampled uh, 3,000 people, did an antibody test, and found that 13.9% of them had antibodies. 
And that is making us, um, giving us some good news that maybe we're closer to moving towards a herd immunity spot. Probably need 60 to 90 percent antibodies to get any kind of herd immunity that um, is meaningful. Um, But, you know, 14 percent is better than zero percent. But I think also people are thinking, well, then that must be nationwide. New York City has had a remarkable experience with this infection. And to presume that we have similar rates in Missouri would be very premature. We'll have to do the test to find out. But I'm going to predict it's going to be less than 3%. Mm -hmm. And so this data uh, might suggest that there's a larger amount of asymptomatic spread than was thought or that... there are more or there are people who have had it who didn't know that 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 they had it or we didn't know that they had it mm-hmm. um so you know when we're talking again when we're trying to calculate what's the death rate which i think is the least interesting part of this this disease but it is something we've been de- debating you need to have an accurate enumerator and an accurate denominator so you have to have an accurate number of deaths and you have to have an accurate number of infections and the antibody test of a population is the best way to do that. Now, sampling 3,000 people in a city the size of New York City, it's unlikely that it's actually fully representative of the city. Right. That's a relatively so. small sample size. Um, mm-hmm. I thought we might dig into a few other details of yeah. this survey. Can can you dive uh-huh. into um, who exactly they were surveying and, and how this might have um, skewed the results okay, one you- way or another? You may have read the story more carefully than I have. I did not get to that. What, what did you find out about well, that? Well, what I read is that they were testing people outside of grocery stores, so people who were out shopping but not working. So these were not essential workers who they were testing, and so that, um, according to this ah, article... Yeah. Um, so then yeah. also probably you know underrepresented healthcare workers, underrepresented the homeless, underrepresented the poor. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, underrepresented the elderly and the infirm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it looks like they are planning on continuing to add to the sample size in the coming weeks to Maybe um, so. make and, that and more accurate. They did a similar study in Stanford and are founding more like 3%. And I think that the Stanford University study was actually done at Stanford University. Which, you know, they try really hard to do a representative sample, and that's often what happens is you um, over-test college students. Although, you know, they're not on campus now, so who knows mm-hmm. what happens with that. So, right. yeah, we're more data is going to help us even out these gaps. Indeed. But thanks, thanks for noticing that I had not read that as carefully. Um, and then I wanted to spend just a minute. I, have, I posted on, on social media that I thought one of the things we ought to do was uh, release a lot of our incarcerated people in Missouri. And I've um, had really thoughtful people say, I don't get that one. How, is that, how does that make the rest of us safer? So I just wanted to go through my 10 reasons. They're not in any particular order. One of them is there are too many of us incarcerated already. We shouldn't have incarcerated many of these people in the first place. Um, and uh, prisons are a little bit like a cruise ship or an elder care facility, and that is that you can't social distance in a prison. Um, they have very limited access to hand washing. They have to buy their own soap, and I'm hearing that that's in limited supply. Um, viruses don't care about uh, barbed wire fences. Um, staff and other people come and go. Um, right. That was one of my big questions is, you know, if these places are, they're prisons, they're, they're locked down, how, are, how is it getting in? And so... 
Surely uh, it's th- it must be through the staff. And, and, yeah. yeah, staff. And, you know, if you're incarcerated, you still have a right to see your attorney. Um, I, I'm guessing that at some point um, uh, people, prisoners are moved from one facility to another. Mm-hmm. People are arrested and come into the facility. Uh, people go back and forth to court. Um, I, I don't. I have not worked in a prison, so I don't know, but we don't. You know, it's not like it's a island. Right. Um, uh, you know, uh, a couple of days ago, we had Chris Link on to talk about ways we can support our immune system with getting enough sleep and eating healthy food and taking quercetin and vitamin C. Um, folks in the prison system, uh, incarcerated folks, can't do any of those things. I guess they could meditate, but um, they're highly stressed, and so their immune systems are really um, would be expected to be pretty compromised. Um, and uh, many of them are in poor health because they have access to really bad health care. Um, and that's our fault, not theirs. Um, it's also the humane thing to do uh, when people are being confronted with a serious infection. Uh, helping them get farther away from it would be a great idea. Um, in, For example, in Mississippi County, it's possible that all of their cases are in the prison, and we would expect that those numbers would um, increase to be 50 to 80 percent of the prison population. If we don't do anything, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the it, county you mentioned at the beginning down in the boot heel of Missouri, where right, there's a large correctional facility. The large correctional facility and, um, and not very many uh, people in the community. So um, probably keeping those folks, especially the nonviolent offenders or those who, as Mike Trapp pointed out a couple of days ago, if they've served 30 years or more of their sentence, their uh, chance of reoffending is less than 1%, which means they're a larger threat to our health and safety in the prison than they would be released. Um, so even if all I care about is my own health, it's the smart thing to do. Um, and people say, oh, but what about just letting them out? What happens if they're infected? They're going to infect me. Yeah, they're going to need some support and uh, maybe quarantine, and that's possible and we should do it. And then um, if we, if prisoners in, if folks incarcerated start to die, um, they will see that. Each, you know, we're having a lot of people from COVID sort of die suddenly at home. If they die suddenly in their uh, cells. Uh, they, um, the inmates around there will see that. It will be terrifying. And terrified people do desperate things. And I'm very afraid about everybody's safety if we have prison uprisings. So those are my 10 reasons. Yes, we need some more plans. I am not an expert in that area. Um, and it's very concerning to me that often when we say somebody should be released from prison, it takes eight, 12 months to actually have them be released. And I think we probably ought to be able to do better than that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, so. that process often takes too long. <laughs> yeah. And and I get it. We don't have community support in place, but I am seeing that our communities respond in remarkable ways. And I think if we, with some leadership and some clarity, we could um, have folks respond. So, um, do we have any do we have any questions that need to be answered, Tim? I have not been receiving as many questions lately, okay, but we are still accepting questions. And I'll take this opportunity to remind our listeners that you, if you do have a question, you can give KOPN a call at 573-874-1139 and leave your question as a message. Or you can send it in an email to me at gm at kopn.org, and we'd be happy to look at your questions and perhaps address them in a future broadcast. 
Yeah, I will say that my experience is that in the last week or so, I've had almost zero people request to be tested, which is an interesting thing. And uh, Stephanie Browning, uh, who's the county public health officer, said that she's noticing the same thing, that the countywide, the number of testing has dropped off. I'm going to guess it's because the social, the physical distancing we're doing is preventing us from spreading all the other things that we often spread in this this time. And so we're all probably just a little bit less and coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, but if people are having symptoms or they're concerned about their exposure to other people and they wanted to call me, they can certainly call 443-7070 and get tested, or they can go to muhealth.org and go through their free telehealth system to get a, to get a test. Um, and then the other two things that are on my mind, I'm hearing a lot of reports of um, uh, farmers wasting their food, whether it's milk or chickens, or um, I recently heard that the onion farmers are having difficulty finding their market. Do you have an understanding about how serious a threat this is to, you know, what I'm going to be able to put on my table and what my neighbors are going to be able to eat, Tim? Well, I'm not an expert in that regard either, but I know the news stories that I'm reading about, you know, millions of tons of food going to waste is, is certainly not good news. Um, if you don't mind, I, I do want to interrupt briefly. We do have a caller yeah. calling in that I'm going to bring on. Okay. Hello, caller. You're on the air. Hello. Um, I was calling in with a question because I heard you didn't have too many questions. Sure. Go I'm ahead. pretty confused about what you guys were recommending about the effectiveness of masks besides the N95s. And uh, if, if you could spend a little time... Last time you talked about it, it was a bit confusing about <clears throat> what you're recommending. So uh, with that, I hope you uh, say that because I'm listening to the radio. Okay. Thank you for your call. Okay, thanks. Thank you. So thanks. we have a Bye. few minutes, and I think the best, the, the most complete answer is nobody knows for sure. So when all of this started, we told everybody that the public health message was, please don't wear masks. And the main reason, there were, two, there were several reasons. One was uh, we wanted people to reserve masks for uh, health provi- providers who had the highest risk of being exposed, not because they necessarily were seeing more sick people, although there's that, but they were also doing things that would cause people to sneeze or cough, like intubating people or putting a swab in their nose, and that those were um, close contact, high uh, viral load exposures, which may predict a poorer outcome. Um, and so, and we were very concerned about our health workers and we were concerned that the system might collapse and we were trying to keep the system up for all of us. And at least in uh, Missouri and certainly in central Missouri, we are not seeing yet that kind of uh, health care worker collapse. Uh, although we are still very short, uh, my colleagues who work in hospitals are telling me they still don't have the personal protective equipment that they would be expected. The, the suits that we see people wearing on the news are really not what's available in um, Missouri for all the people who have contact with um, folks with uh, COVID disease. But well, we've the, the other concern was that people will use that as a false sense of security. Oh, I have a mask, so I can go shopping. Right. I have a mask, I can go see my friend. Um, and what we, we don't have, if, I am not aware of anybody doing great testing on these fabric masks, but the ones that we have done are showing that it's not really all that effective in preventing virus from coming through either direction. But it probably does keep 
your sneeze or cough from going 20 feet rather than, and maybe it only exposes people in the two to three foot range. Um, and and I, I am seeing photographs and videos of people who are using these masks in really interesting ways that they, you know, pull them down to smell candles in the store and pull them down to talk on their phones and, or they're wearing them, not covering their mask, their mouth and nose, because guess what? They're uncomfortable and it's hard to breathe through them. So um, I don't know that we know for sure, but, but what we're asking is that if you are going to go into a building that you don't live in, like a grocery store or a home store, please put on a mask. If you expect to get within 10 foot of another people outside, please put on a mask. And it's gotten to the point where now this is a thing that we do. It's a social convention that we're doing that probably helps. And so choosing not to do it is a little bit like um, waving the wrong finger in someone's direction. And since we're all trying to get along, I am recommending that people wear masks. Um, and if you don't have a mask, there are folks in Columbia who will sew you one. And if you still can't get one, a bandana or a scarf is better than nothing. So great. Well, thank the you for first that. Thing is we don't thank know, but, mm-hmm. but please wear one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm afraid that's all the time we have for yeah. today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, again, You're as welcome. always, Dr. Allman. Okay. All right. Once again, you're listening to Community Pulse, your local report and update on the coronavirus outbreak in mid-Missouri. Coming up next is a new edition of Open Mic Radio. So stay tuned. <laughs>